Thanks, Bernard. Uh, I think Bibles have been given out, so um, you can uh, look up 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 to 9. One Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse 5 to 9. If you're using the church Bible, it's on page 1157, 1157, 1157, whatever way we say it, it's the same page. Uh, for the rest of you, I don't know your page number, but it's still 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verses 5 to 9. We're going to talk about being an effective church, uh, which would be interesting for us, and really trying to set the tone um, for the year uh, moving ahead. We can, we can be church, but are we effective? Um, are we effective in the Great Commission? Are we effective in Jesus' mission? Are we called up with it? Are we listening to the Father? Jesus said he, he did what he saw the Father doing, and his church must do the same. So we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 5 to 9, just as a, a way of getting God's word uh, as we start this year into our hearts and really learning lessons from it and really being inspired by it. Uh, it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And we really need to, as Christians here, uh, really uh, have that focus on the Word of God and live it out in our families and our communities and our workplaces. So these are words of uh, Paul. They're written to the uh, church in Corinth while he was in Ephesus. And I'm just going to read uh, one from 1 Corinthians 16, starting at verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. So it's not a long passage, uh, but there's a lot, we can, uh, a lot we can look at and get out of that passage. As you know, uh, last year... Um, we've been talking about a Christian character. That's going to carry on. Uh, it carries on just to past Easter uh, when we finish our series on the Sermon on the Mount. But then we're going to be moving into this effectiveness and it will come into every sermon uh, anyway. That's what I want you to remember. How are we being effective in everything we do, in my life, in my church? Is it effective for uh, the Lord's mission for his world? So character is not forgotten because you can invite people into church or you can walk down the high street and say you're a Christian and everything else. But if our character's not right, if our character's not in line with the Lord, if we're not being sanctified, that means becoming more like Jesus, then we can preach the gospel, but we're not living it out and it undermines its credibility. The messengers get in the way of the message. So we're not going to forget character. We're continually working on that. We had this vision of character and that as we move forward as a church here, uh, that we grow in our character. And as we do that, People would be naturally attracted to Christ and his church because we mostly should be the most positive people that anyone can meet. We've got a life-affirming message. We've got a God who is for us, not against us, and we can share that with the world, many of which think there's no absolute truth, but we point to one who says, I am the truth, unashamedly. And, and that will be offensive to some, and so be it. But that's, that's the word of God. Jesus points him to himself. I am, I am, I am. All the I ams, the good shepherd, uh, the way, the truth, the life. He points to himself, the bread of life. He points to himself, and he's head of the church, and we're going to witness for him. And that's what we're going to do to be effective. So we don't, we don't forget our character, uh, and we're not shifting our thinking. We're adding to it in our effectiveness. And uh, we need to be called up in this great mission of God. And what was God's mission? What was his mission? Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. He gives us. We can come up with all sorts of church statements, 
um, and uh, mission plans and vision and everything else. That's all good. But really, we've got it in the Great Commission. We've got what God told us already, Jesus himself at the end of Matthew's Gospel, to go and make disciples. He said to baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He said to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's discipleship. He he said he came to seek and save the lost. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you out into the world, which is sometimes dangerous. And we've got the truth of the Bible, which constantly society is trying to undermine. It's interesting what Katie was saying when she got the Bible out. I thought, this is it, this is what I'm saying. I didn't tell her that. She wasn't nicking my sermon. She may have looked at my notes beforehand. I didn't spot it. Um, but I, don't, I think it's the Holy Spirit. You know, the, people, the world does try and undermine the Bible. There's been an attack on, on it forever. There's been an attack on Christianity uh, since, it, uh, since it started. It's not been wiped out. There's been an attack on Jesus' name right from the beginning. It's still the name above all names. It's still the name, rightly or wrongly, that's uh, spoken about more than any other name. 2,000 years of trying to get rid of him. We can't because he is the Lord. And he points to himself and he says, I am. I am. And he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. You know, it's interesting to me that archaeology now is backing up the Bibles if we need it. But for many time, many uh, years, people have said, you can't trust in the Bible. There's people groups there that we've never seen before. And guess what? There's this sort of uh, massive increase in discovering in archaeology. All these people go, oh, they are there after all. And we shouldn't be surprised because this is God's words to us. And we can trust it. We're trying to sort out in the uh, the office, um, uh, a trip to the British Museum. We've got someone who will take us around and show us all these things that back up the Bible. So if you're interested in that, let me know. We can only take 15 at a time, so there might be quite a few trips. But, but all these things are beginning to back up the Bible. People say, no, look, that's true. It was in the Bible. That should not surprise us. It's God's word to us. And the fact is, we can be a large church, a small church, a medium church, or just a gathering of Christians who meet in a home, which is the church, probably very similar to the one that Paul's writing to. But we can get caught up with the size of a church. What I want to talk about, you can be a large church, but still be in very ill health. You, you may not be in good health. You know, there are, there, you know, you can be large and unhealthy. You can be small and very healthy. So what we want to be is a healthy church, an effective church an effective church. We don't want to get too much uh, caught up on the size of a church. Of course we want people to come into God's kingdom and that's reflective and the church is an agent of the kingdom. We should be agents of change, of course. But that can't be our end goal. We just want more numbers. It should be about where the people we are and people join us because they want to get caught up in the mission of God. And his Bible is true and it speaks words of truth into people's lives now. Um, I used to go to Chafford School in Maine, Essex. It was a good school. I think I told you before, they didn't let us wear school uniforms. They didn't want anyone to know where we came from. And, uh, but we, we were good at one thing, and it was football. And um, uh, we were really good. And, and I was, I'm surprised to this day that people didn't go on to become professional footballers. We were winning the leagues and everything else, and we had a new games master. He wanted to try and teach us rugby and cricket. We soon got rid of him. Uh, and uh, we were really good, and we were top of the league, and it was going really well. But before we were top of the league, there was a time when everybody was really good, but we weren't getting the results. We weren't effective. And someone got hold of us and then taught us how to play as a team. And then we did go to the top of the division. Then we did go to the top of Essex Schools division. Amazing, isn't it? They threw us out for fighting in my fifth year, and um, they banned us for two years. So we didn't really, we didn't really, we weren't, I'm not suggesting the church needs to go around fighting, although um, you can see if you read your papers, it does that quite well. But to be effective, we need to be together and out and 
join together as a team with Christ uh, leading us and being an effective church. Teamwork. This passage that we've read is written around AD 55 and it's near the, near the end of Paul's um, three-year ministry in Ephesus uh, during his third missionary journey. And in verses 5 to 7, Paul talks about his visit to the Corinthian church. He's, he's got a travelling ministry. He's been at Ephesus. He's going to travel through Macedonia. He's going to get to Corinth. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking about Jerusalem. You know, he's, I hope he, hope he had his bus, bus pass. You know, it's a long way. He's going all these different places. But in verse 8, he makes it clear he's staying on in Ephesus. Well, why is he staying on in Ephesus? Because he said in verse 9, a great door for effective work has opened for me. A great door for effective work has opened for me. We can work hard, and people do in this church. But we've got to ask ourselves a question, is it effective? And when I look at the Great Commission, when I look at Jesus' mission, are we doing that? Are we doing a lot of good things and nice things? But is it, are we really getting caught up in Jesus' mission? And Paul says, a great door for effective work has opened for me. He wants to be effective, and let's face it, he was. He really was. He's alluding to the ministry he's had at Ephesus. Uh, we know in um, Acts 19, he spent longer there than anywhere else. At the time, he was, a, he, well, he's, he was a good debater wherever he went, but he was debating in a public lecture room between the hours of about 11 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the Hall of Tyrannus. They, they call that siesta time. I quite like that, 11 till 4. Can we adopt that? I don't think we'll get away with it, but anyway. And, and as a result, the Bible says, the whole of the province of Asia, it says in Acts 19, heard the word of the Lord. Heard the word of the Lord. There was a big wide door open. And Paul was passionate about preaching the gospel. And the, the word of the Lord spread. A big wide door opened. Our context is Billerickian and surrounding areas. And we've got our mission partners that I mentioned at the beginning. That's fantastic. I think we've got eight of them, and you can read all about them at the back. But our context for us here, left at home, is Billericay and its neighbours. And we've got a mission, and we've got to be effective to that uh, community. Whether it's we're running our Alpha, starting after Easter, whether it's sharing uh, the good news in your conversations. I went to a dinner recently, it was a bit of an impromptu one. Uh, I can't remember, I think it was New Year's Day or the day after, and we... Uh, we text someone and say, oh, Happy New Year. Hope your move to your new house has gone well. And, and they said, Well, come along. Come and see. So we went and saw them. We had dinner and we weren't really, we didn't go out and think, Well, I've got my four or five spiritual laws of salvation ready to share with them. Um, I've got my card and I've got my tract and everything else. We just went. And um, the son of my friend, they came to the carol service and he said, Oh, it's really nice coming to the, the church. It was uh, something different from what I've experienced before. Uh, normally, when I've been in churches, it's been quite miserable. And he said it was quite nice to have positive people and a positive message and positive worship and be sent out, encouraged. He said, I felt great about it. He said, but what is it to you? He said, that's great. It's just singing songs and listening to the Bible and not sure what I believe and everything else. And I I just simply said, you know, my faith is really important to me. Without my faith, I don't think um, I've got much to offer. Um, You can call it a crutch if you want. And if faith or Christ is a crutch, then I'll openly say, well, I need him. And I do lean on him. And I want to press into him. And my faith is vitally important. It's just a dinner party. We didn't really go on much from there, but that's just a conversation. We don't have to win every argument. It's just being available for God and his spirit as he works between. So there's all these different things we can do, and we need to, uh, like Paul, really be ready and prepared uh, to answer for the hope that we have. Um, So we can do that. If we don't have our character, it won't be effective when they come to church, so we need to keep working on that. But the word of the Lord grew and prevailed mightily in Ephesus. There's many openings 
uh, for us here. An effective church would recognize them. Um, the word of God needs to prevail mightily. Uh, the world needs it. If you look at the world, it seems in a lot of disarray. But we have, we have words of life. We have words of, words of Christ to speak into people's lives. Just think about the opportunities just around you, even now, in the town. You know, I was going to ask you to shout them out, but I spoke for long and I thought I was going to be ready. So, but think about them and go away and think, well, how can we be effective? Think about all the groups that are in this building and Sunnymead or on a Sunday at the school. You know, all the, opportun- all the people that go through those buildings, are we speaking to them? Or are we doing nice things? We're doing good things, but have we got our voice? We might have them for five or six years, but where's our voice? When do we tell them about Christ? So what makes an effective church? I'm going to whiz through these because we'll be looking at all of them uh, as the year goes on. Effective church, first of all, as we acknowledge uh, all the time, but we must believe it, is that I'm not the head of the church, you're not the head of the church, it's not a democracy, it's a theocracy. Only one person is head of his church, and that's Christ. And we have to know that. We have to know that. The only authority that really comes in. There are offices in the church. You know, there are people that you've recognised in Christ that have been called to leadership, and we, we embrace that. But he's the only head of the church. He is the only head of the church. We need a genuine openness to God's direction. And as we do that, he'll grow his church, he'll build it. On this rock I will build my church, he said, when Peter said, you are the Christ. As we confess him, on this rock I will build my church. So we need to find out what his plans and purposes are, not what ours are, and ask him to bless them. Verse 7, Paul says, I hope to spend some time with you. So he's got his hope, and he wants to, wants to know where he's going. But look what he says straight after. He said, if the Lord permits. It just wasn't about what he wanted. It was, what is God saying? Is this of God? It means we've got to honour the Bible, all scripture, all of it. You can't knock out Genesis and Revelation like Luther wanted to. It, all of it. The beginning and the end and everything in between is God's word to us. And as the Bible's been undermined over the years, so society has decayed. But the church has been called to be the salt and light. And we honour the word of God. When Christians start saying, yeah, there's certain bits you don't need to believe, that undermines the whole thing. We might have to put it in its context. We might have to do our theology and our exegesis and work out what it means for us now. But it is the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. God puts life into the Word. He brings life into us. It's God-breathed. The word that he uses in that passage is ruach, which is the same word that right at the beginning of Genesis when God's Spirit was hovering over the water and he breathed life into man. And the Spirit of God puts life into people and he brings life into his church now. And we sung the song and Katie spoke about it. We need the Spirit of God burning brightly among us and uh, then we'll see just what God can do. But we need to honour the Word. We need to honour the word of God. We can't undermine it. The humanists are trying to do that. The secularists are trying to do it. We're Christians. This is the word of God and it is truth. So we honour the Bible. All of it's God-breathed. We need to be a prayerful church. Matthew 21, my house will be called a house of prayer. We probably are. I mean, you know, as, as Bernard mentioned, if you're meeting up in discipleship groups this week, you'll be praying. We pray in our personal lives. We have our prayer meetings on Tuesday morning and evening. But we need to challenge ourselves. Are we a prayerful church? You know, without exception, every revival that started, started with an outbreak of prayer. And we want revival, we need to pray for it. Let's pray for revival. We were talking in the office in that week. Let's pray for revival in this church. 
Not, not just for us, but this is where our concern is. This is where God has put us for now. So we want revival and spirit-filled people and a spirit-filled church that the, the people outside will want to be with us. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it said the crowds were amazed, not the followers, the crowds were amazed. Jesus sat down, he surrounded himself with his followers, the crowds looked on, and at the end, the crowds were amazed because they were true. They were true to the word. So we need to be a prayerful uh, church. That's uh, Revival starts with prayer. We need to pray that. and We need to pray for new people to come into the kingdom, pray for baptisms, pray for miracles, and, and just see what God does. We need to be a listening church. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Call to me. Proverbs 1 verse 8, Listen to your father's instruction. Jesus himself modelled it in John 5. I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. Also, How many times we said, see what train God is on and jump on. Buy a ticket and get on board. Don't try and make your own train. You know, because God is already moving. He's moving among us now. There's ministries that are springing up. I mean, I'll highlight the prison ministry. You know, it's not... There probably is intention behind it. I don't mean to point you out... Uh, but it's just something God seems to be doing. It seems to be growing. It just seems to be happening naturally. We know we're in God's will, that ministry, because he says, when did you come and see me? When did you visit me? When did you feed me? And we've got a group of people that go and do that, and that's fantastic. And they're released to do it. We should be praying for them and supporting them. And sometimes they're putting themselves in the face of danger. There was a riot in the prison not so long ago. We've got people there. We should be praying for them. But it's really what we're doing is seeing what God's already doing. We didn't say one day, I know, let's start up a prison ministry and let's hope God gets involved. God was doing it already. He's raising people up. We're not having to beg for volunteers. It's just happening. You know, I spoke to Phil. He's gone about street passes. He said, not many of you are street passes. I said, I know, we've got a great prison ministry though. And each church has its own thing that it's doing. We don't have to duplicate everything. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. Or don't do it. I'm saying it's great, but isn't it wonderful how God uses all the churches in the town to do different ministries? I loved it that the Methodist church did their Christmas lunch. So should we do a Christmas lunch? We don't need to do a Christmas lunch. A church is already doing it. We need to find our place. Interestingly, I bumped into the minister. I felt quite bad. I think it was Christmas Eve. I think we bumped into him, didn't we? David Bagwell, a really nice bloke. Um, And a great church. Not as good as here, but it's doing well. But I said to him, it's really, I said, isn't it wonderful, Christmas Eve, we've got this little relaxing time just before Christmas Day. He went, I'm not relaxed. I've got two Christine doors, I've got to do this, this, and I thought, oh, okay, we're going to Waitrose. <laughs> anyway, so he's busier than me. Um, but I said to him, you know, I just, we had our carols last week and we didn't take an offering. I was just exploring stuff. I said, I wonder whether, you know, people do want to give because friends that we brought with us said, we, we wanted a gift, Sonny. There was never an opportunity. And I said, yeah, you know, there's local things going on. So I'm going to speak to the elders about that. But, but I said to David, if we did, would, that, would it be something we could contribute to? You're already doing it, or you can maybe ask for volunteers or contribute. What do you think? He said, no way. I thought, that's harsh. You know, we're supposed to be one in church and everything else. He said, Ian, we're overfunded and we're overvolunteered. The local businesses are giving us too much money. We can't spend it. And I've got, he said, we've got 48 guests with 28 helpers, half of whom are non-Christians, giving up a Christmas day to feed those that otherwise would have nowhere to go. So, brilliant. Praise God, fantastic, great witness. Do we need to do a Christmas lunch? No. There's a church already doing it, and they could handle more. So we need to find what God is saying to us. What's our mission? 
What's our mission? Listening to him. Seeing what the Father does and we get along with it. We need to be a missional church, an evangelistic church. You know, the Great Commission is called to mission and evangelism. We've got a huge fringe. We worked out in the office, 200 people coming to our various buildings a week that don't know Christ. Um, So before I start going out, which I'm not against, I need to look within. We've got people on our doorstep and, and we need to reap the harvest. The Lord says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. We don't have to search them. They're on our doorstep. So we need to look at that this year and take the Great Commission seriously and find our voice. A serving church, I'd mentioned the Methodist church already, what they're doing. But many things we do here in servanthood, which is great. All the children's groups, all the ministries that go on throughout the week. It is amazing. An army of volunteers. If ever you're off one day, come and have a look. Uh, it's normally a few people doing great work. Could always use more help, but they're doing a great thing. A worshipping church. We prayed at the beginning to be worshippers in spirit and truth. Authentic worship. Drawing close to God. It's not about my favourite song or my style, it's about the God I've come to worship. Do you know, and one that I, I, I hesitate, but I won't hesitate, too late now, I've said I'm going to hesitate, I can't lie, so hesitate. Dare I say it, effective leadership. We need effective leaders that are going to grow a church. And for whatever our theology is, all the church growth books will tell you that if you have a strong leadership, who know where they're going, under Christ, the church will grow. It was, it, was, it was one of the big factors. And so, if this is not about sacred power and do as we say. It's never that. It's about the priests of all believers recognising the gift of leadership in some, recognising who, who God has called, and, and, then they, they've, and then they've got to lead. And they've got to lead the people, and they'll be accountable uh, to God. So you need to pray for the leaders. Pray for me. Pray for the leaders. We're going to welcome two new ones later on. And I can tell you already, I know they're feeling spiritual pressure. It will weigh down on their shoulders. And they will be double accountable. You need to pray for your leaders. And, and, and I promise you, they do pray for you. They do pray for you. But we'll lead. It's not about sacred power. It's about almost bottom-up. It's not really because it's the... It's, and I don't even like that term. It's the members recognising what Christ is doing, the head of his church. Now appoint them, now let them lead, which you do, but we've got to lead as well, and we promise that we will. So we need effective uh, leadership. We need to make the most of our opportunities. Verse 9, Paul said, a great door for effective workers, hope open to me. We're in post-Christendom. That means that you know, most people don't go to church. We're beyond this. You know, 50 years ago, 50% of people were in church. Uh, 70% of children are in Sunday school. Not any longer. They don't know the great truths of the Bible. They don't think you can believe Genesis. If you don't believe Genesis, well, that undermines everything else. And Revelation, what's all that about? You know, seven bowls of this and seven stuffs of that. You know, we've got to know our word. We've got to be able to explain it and defend it. Uh, because as the Bible's been undermined, so has, uh, so has society. We've got to look at post-Christendom. And instead of moaning about it, um, just think, if everybody went to church, we've got no mission. What this provides is opportunity. There's loads of people that need to hear the great truths of the Bible. We're called to be salt and light. As I've said before, if the world is in decay, don't moan about it. Ask, where is the salt? If the world is dark, ask, where is the light? That's you and me. And we're sent. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We need to have commitment. Romans uh, 8, verse 12, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual service, serving the Lord. A willingness to get involved. A willingness to get involved. People come to me and say, we ought to be doing this. I say, great, when are you going to start? You know, because all of us have a part to play. We can't do it all. And we don't really need to do it all either. We need to be focused. 
We can get too frenetic and too busy. Not one church can do everything. So a willingness to get involved. A recognition of church as a family. You know, the Bible says uh, in Hebrews 10, do not give up meeting together, but rather encourage one another. You know, when Jeremy, uh, our dear brother Jeremy died uh, a month or so ago, and I was really upset. You know, he was an elder. I mean, loads of you knew him as well. And um, he served here uh, for many years. He served with me an elder up in, in stock. And then latterly, as he got sick, he was, he was coming up here and sitting at the back, wasn't he? And um, when he died and I got the call uh, on Saturday from Lorraine, uh, really sad. I was very glad that he was in heaven. Uh, heaven's game was our loss. Um, but we're sad. And, and the Bible says there's a time to mourn, and we're mourning. Um, but that, the next day, was one of, we, get, we get a quarterly Sunday off, the ministers. You look after us well. So we're allowed to take a Sunday off every quarter and, and um, be released of all church duties. And I said to Andrew, we were going to go somewhere else just to worship and sit and be anonymous and everything else. And I got up and I said to Andrew, I feel really sad. There's no place I'd rather be than come to my church. And, and, and that's, I just wanted to come here. It wasn't the best service for me. It was when big ministers were in. So it was all happy and clappy and hallelujahs. And I, and I sat there and what, but I just wanted to be among you. And God was here. And people ministered to me and prayed for me. I didn't make a big show of it. It's just I just wanted to be here. I don't want to give up the meeting, uh, the habit of meeting together. We're family. Why wouldn't I want to be with my family when news like that hits? And let's recognise that we've got a lot, lot of love among us and we need each other. A baptism, a membership, you know, a, a willingness to honour the word of God, get, repent, believe, be baptised. We've got a baptismal service booked for Easter Sunday in faith. You know, we want to see more baptisms, new birth. New birth. Membership. If you're a member, I would want to challenge you to... to it's not just about business meetings. We want to come and discern the word, the, the mind of Christ. Come along. And if you can't, please release yourself from membership. You know, I know the number might go down, and we count people, because people count. But, but we want you there, because we want to help discern the mind of Christ. But if you can't do it, and I understand maybe if it's couples with young kids, and I get that, and, but if, if none of you are coming, I don't understand that. We need you here. We need you here. I need you here. The Lord needs you here because we've got to push forward and there's work to be done. It's very frustrating when we want to push forward and we can't because people haven't turned up. So let's take it seriously. There's a challenge coming up. Uh, We don't have to look at that today. Coming up, believe baptism and belonging. But I'm really passionate about memberships, who we are as uh, as Baptists, that when we come together in Christ's name, we discern his will. And when we discern his will, we can move forward with confidence. So we need you there. Ephesians 2 says, you're fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household. Let's discern together the mind of Christ. And if you're not a member and you're a Christian, why not? You know, come and see us. We need you. Christ needs you. This is his church. We want to grow. We want to hear all sorts of view, viewpoints while we discern what God is saying for his church. Paul knows that whenever we move out effectively, people will oppose us. And I've known that in my ministry. And, you know, I have to tell you, some of the biggest opposition has been from within the church. Whenever you want to change something, whenever you want to push out, there's people, you know, a little bit anxious. Uh, but generally, we get through it, and then people look back and say, oh, great, fantastic. But there are many of the opposers from outside of the church as well. Paul talked about it in his farewell speech to the elders of the Ephesian church in, in Acts 20, where he said, uh, I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials which befell me through the plots of the Jews. They're his own people. Or 1 Corinthians 15, he was fighting with wild beasts at Ephesus and Luke backs that up in Acts 19. He had vicious confrontation with occult practices 
He confronted evil powers. It led to books of the magic arts being burnt on bonfires. People didn't like that. Who's this man to tell us what the truth of God is? Ministry against a cult is rewarding, but it drains you. Demetrius, the silversmith, uh, business was bad because um, they st- he was making the idol um, statues and ornaments. And when Paul preached against his stuff, his business suffered. So they dragged Paul and his companions and beat them. Whenever we push out for God, there will be opposition. So I really want to encourage us this year as I close that we need to be effective. Think about everything we do. Think with the Great Commission in the back of your mind at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Um, Think about Jesus saying, I've come to seek and save the lost. It's great to put an arm around someone. It's better to then tell them about Jesus. We need to do both. We need to be a, a serving church, a humble church, a loving church, but we need to be a church that has its voice. We need to be a church that has its voice because we can love them and we can put an arm around them and, and they're still on their way to hell. And ultimately, that's not good. Um, I looked at, uh, years ago, I met a man called Rob Warren. Uh, he was an Anglican, um, which is great, and I liked him, which is even better. And he was older than me, much wiser than me, uh, but he wrote a book um, uh, about healthy churches. He, and he was talking to me, and um, I, was trying to, I was writing them all down, so he goes, yeah, just buy my book, which I did, and I got it out. And he had these seven marks of a healthy church, and much of which we're trying to do. Uh, but um, for me... As your senior minister, I've got these in the back of my mind. I've put it on my wall, and I'm going to try and judge everything against it. So we've got the Great Commission. We've got Jesus' mission, seek and save the lost. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then we've got these kind of marks, which I want us to focus on. These will come out later on in the year when we do the series. But his first point was a healthy church is energised by faith. I love that. That's what I want us to be. And we shouldn't be energised by, well, I better do this, no one else will. I wish someone else would do this so I could step down. It's the wrong, it's the wrong motive. We're energised by faith. Faith in God and his mission. A motivation that comes from a desire to serve God and one another. We should have an outward-looking focus to seek and save the lost. We need to seek to find out what God wants, not what I want or what you want. We've got to face, and this is a tough one, we need to face the cost of change and growth. You know, if the church grows, it, 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 it creates problems. It creates stresses and strains, but we need to be ready for that. We want that. We need to operate as a community, not a club. Relationships inside and out, nurturing them, bringing people into the kingdom of God, making room for all to be inclusive. Now, everything we're doing in a service, with a, and what, is, what would this mean if someone just walked into church? You know, and Ian's talking about being washed in the blood of the Lamb and slain in the Spirit and everything else. What does that mean for someone who's just come into church? What does it mean if we say in a worship song, raise your hands and say hallelujah? Because if I'd come into a church that did that the first time, I'd walk straight back out again. I don't want to do that. I'm still trying to find out what I learn. I'm not against it. I'm saying we need to be thinking about everything we do. We need to be inclusive. We need to be focused on what we do and do the things we do really well. We don't have to do everything. We don't need a Christmas lunch. It's already being done. But we need to focus on what we do and do really well. And there's much work to be done. There's so much to be done. We're a group of people. We need to reach out into the community. I'd want you to be proud of this church because it's a church of Christ. I'd want you to invite people to this church because Christ is among us. And so for 2017, let's really commit to have God's rule and sovereignty in our lives and in our church, discerning what he wants. It means that we must have prayerful hearts. How can we know what he wants if we're not talking to him? We must have prayerful hearts. And then, as he's promised, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. Then the enthusiasm, then the passion to serve. We'll be an effective church with God's power in us and among us. And as we seek his kingdom, his power, we can do so much, so much, because God's strength 
is in us. You're, we're going to sing this in a second. You're his church and you are the hope. You are the hope of the nation because you profess Christ and you're his ambassadors. So let's join Christ in his mission. The missio Dei, the mission of God. Seek and save the lost. Lord, we thank you for your word. We take it as, as truth to us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, now that everything that's been said, you'd really fill our hearts and our minds, our inner beings, to really take on board the truth, the power, the authority of you, and take that out into the world and bring people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.